So when you invite people to next week, do not call it a Holy Ghost weenie roast. We're here today to talk about Halloween, what is it, and why do we have a party? And the title of the message from up top in that right-hand corner is, He Wooked and He Wooked and He Wooked and He Wooked. Some of you already know what that means. But we're going to talk a little bit about uh, why we do what we do and why we call it a Halloween party as opposed to a fall festival. You know, the culture that we live in celebrates Halloween. It's become more than just a one-night experience. It's turned into a month. It's really the kickoff to the holiday season. I mean, if you don't have your Christmas shopping done already by Halloween, you've failed. And again, they've turned it into a month-long uh, deal. And Halloween goes back in our, in our culture. We've celebrated Halloween in our country for many years. In fact, many of the customs of Halloween have come over from the Europeans. An awful lot of them have come over from the Irish, which always cracks me up. Anybody here Irish? Any of you drink a lot? Different? But I think, I think, I think some of these customs came from some Irish people who were drinking at the time. Not that all Irish people drink, but I think there's a connection because some of these have to do with the customs of Halloween. The first is costumes. This is the scariest costume I could find. This is Paul Sternagel dressed as a zombie at Lakeland Zombie Fest. I went downtown last week to the Zombie Fest. Any of you, anybody else go? Oh, I'm so sorry. You still are dressed like a zombie. What would you do to your arm? And watch it. My bad. I got hit, I got hit by a zombie. They, they did a brain scan and found nothing. But uh, they, they went in there and they... <laughs> costumes are something that everybody gets all jacked up about. So are Halloween jokes. You know Halloween jokes? You know, how does a, uh, how does a mummy hide... He wears masking tape. I like that joke. What did the mommy vampire say to her little baby vampire in the morning? Eat your breakfast before it clots. Ugh, awesome. How do you fix a jack-o'-lantern when it breaks? You get a pumpkin patch. You got to love this. You guys are so much better than the first hour. I'm not speaking in the first hour anymore. Write that down. <laughs> Costumes are a big thing. Ja Where did the jack-o'-lantern come from? Well, this is a funny story from an Irish person who was probably drinking. There was a guy named Jack, and Jack was a real rascal. He was a, he was a, he was a big drinker and, and a prankster. And, and one time, he, uh, he tricked the devil in, into a tree, and then he carved a cross in the trunk of the tree so the devil couldn't get down. And in order to get down, the devil made a deal with Jack. He promised him that he would not tempt him anymore if he let him out of the tree. So he did. But Jack continued about his mischievous ways. And when he died, he went to heaven, and he wasn't allowed in because he was such a rascal. So he went to hell, and the devil wouldn't let him in because he tricked him. But, so the devil sent him off. That wasn't the funny part. The devil sent him off. But thank you for participating. The devil sent him off, and, and he gave him an, a, an ember of coal from the fires of hell, and he put it inside a hollowed-out turnip so he could carry it through the cold, dark time of the day. And then when the Irish people came to America, they stopped drinking, and they found that instead of turnips, we had a lot of pumpkins, and that's how the lighted pumpkin came to be. That's at least what they said on Wikipedia, and if it's on Wikipedia, it's got to be true, right? Trick or treat, that comes from uh, farmers. They used to go around after the harvest in the fall, this time of year, and they would collect for the poor. And if you participated and helped out in their offering, they would uh, bless you with prosperity and, uh, and, and pray, pray for you during the year. If you chose not to give, uh, they would trick you. And they would sometimes dress up in disguises, again, the costume idea, 
and they would come and play pranks on you if you didn't participate in their beneficial giving. In our home, we sometimes call it Heroween because the word Halloween actually comes from hollow or hallowed evening, holy evening. Halloween, October 31st, is the evening before November 1st. So you learned that in seminary. (laughs) November 1st on the church calendar is All Saints Day. And so we celebrate as a church the saints who have gone on before us. You know, Hebrews talks about the great cloud of witnesses who have preceded us in the faith. And so Halloween, the night before All Saints Day, is the time when we get around and share about those godly people who have mentored and ministered to us in our lives. Hopefully, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's somebody in your life like that, a family, friend, or a loved one who who has helped lead you to Christ. I know in my life I've had three or four very key mentors, and I always remember them on this day. Now, I have a little cough, (coughs) and I'm going to take a cough drop, and I hate when people suck on stuff during the message, but sorry. Fisherman's Friend, free commercial, good stuff. (coughs) I know, it's a little crazy today. So what in the world are we doing when we have this Halloween party? Why do we do it? Well, we do it because we are surrounded by people that don't know Jesus yet. You know, over 100,000, the last I knew it was about 106,000 people, live within five miles of this building. More than 75% of them do not have a church home. So what we want to do is engage the community and invite them to do something fun which is why we don't call it a fall festival. They know what Halloween is. They don't know what a fall festival or a Holy Ghost weenie roast is. So that's what we're going to do because we want to have a big party, and next week is is it. We're going to not have regular worship time, and we're going to serve them candy and food and music and just love the people in the community that we can invite in to enjoy time together because it's really hard to invite people to church if you don't have a great relationship with them, but it's easy to invite them to a party. And so that's our focus for the next Sunday is we're going to have this great time of fun and enjoyment with the long-range goal of maybe we'll get them into a small group or maybe we'll get them to come to church. Maybe we'll be privileged enough to share the love of Christ with them. You see, most of the time we think of people that don't know Jesus as being out there and, and removed from us. But people without Jesus need him desperately. And the Bible says three things about people that don't know Jesus. It's very important to understand that before people know Jesus, they're, they're, they're talked about in very sad terms. First of all, they're blinded. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this, Satan, who, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Why don't people believe in Jesus? Without Jesus, they're spiritually blind. You know, if we turned all the lights off in here and we had no full moon like we did a couple of nights ago, as dark as it is, if I just went over into the corner up here and I I clicked on my cell phone, if you could see, you would see that light. You could tell where I was. But if you're blind, you, you have no idea about light. And so people who don't know Jesus, the Bible says, they they can't see his glorious light. So we need to be in prayer for these people and we need to be loving these people. We need to be finding ways to build bridges to these people. They're not only blind, the Bible says they are dead. And they're not mostly dead. What movie? Princess Bride. They're all dead. We looked at this when we studied through Ephesians this last year. Ephesians chapter 2 says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin. 
you have no hope because you are dead. You are not mostly dead. You are all dead. You know, if you're mostly dead, there's, there's hope. But people without Jesus spiritually are dead. They cannot, they cannot connect with God. And the Bible says if you don't have Jesus, you are blind to the light of Christ and you're dead. There's no way for you to connect with God. And we need to remember those days. I remember those days before I knew Jesus when I would pray and it was as if no one was there hearing me. And I would stare into space and think, there must be something out there. I don't have any way to connect with that because my spirit was, was dead and I couldn't see the light. So people without Jesus are blind and they're dead. And then third, they're trapped. There is an aggressive enemy called Satan. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26 says this, Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those who change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. They will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Satan does not want to give up his people. And that's, I think, one reason Halloween is so popular. It's gone from one night to a whole month because a lot of the evil and the spiritism uh, that comes place is, in fact, demonically generated. Some of it's just good, clean fun. But Satan doesn't want to give the idea that things are awful without Jesus, and so he makes Halloween fun. It's why you can have a zombie fest, you know. It's why the vampire movies are so successful. I saw last night, Dracula's coming out Friday. There's a hunger in people for something more than just this life. We know in our very being that there must be something more than just what goes on here, and there is. But there's more for them in Christ than there is for the plan by the devil. But he wants to make his plan look really good. If you look at the, the movie trailers, and I don't go to the movies one, uh, very often, but I went a month ago or so, and we saw a movie. Every single trailer had some emphasis on the supernatural. And the computer graphics make that easier than ever. And so there's a hunger in people because they want to know that there's a spiritual reality in their life. But without Jesus, they're blind. Without Jesus, they're dead. Without Jesus, they're trapped by the evil one. And so we take this culture that we live in and we say, hey, come. You are not the enemy. People without Jesus are not the enemy. They're the victims of the enemy. And we need to love them and move toward them and find ways to engage them and just have a good time with them. Because the, the average <clears throat> unbeliever says, oh, those Christians, they're known for all the things they don't do. I'm not going there. You know, we don't drink and we don't dance and we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't have Halloween parties. Well, when we get together, we ought to have a blast. And when we get together with them, we ought to have a blast. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus loved people that were unbelievers. He went to them. He moved toward them. And in the gospel accounts, we have some great passages that fly in the face of their culture. You see, the religious people in their culture studied from a book called the Talmud. And there are two quotes from the Talmud that I'd like you to know. One says, let not a man associate with the wicked. And that happens today in churches. But this is a Jewish writing, and the, and the wicked were not to be engaged and you know what happens in most churches is we treat the unbelievers as though they're wicked. And we get in a holy, in a holy huddle. You know the verse, it says, wherever two or three are gathered, there a clique can form. And instead of embracing people who are not believers, we push them away. The Talmud also says, there is joy in the presence of God 
when those who provoke him perish from the earth. Think about that. In the Jewish mindset, for an unbeliever to go to hell was a good thing as far as God was concerned. And Jesus shows up and he flies in the face of all of that. Jesus hangs out with the sinful people. He hangs out with the wicked. He embraces them. He befriends them. He loves them because he came to die for sinners, not the righteous. He tells for us three parables in the Gospel of Luke. And if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 are three parables designed to tell us what God is like. The first is the parable of the lost sheep. The second is the parable of the lost coin. And the third is the parable of the lost or the prodigal son. And in each parable, the goal is to show what God is really like. Does God really rejoice when those who provoke him perish from the earth? Does God not want us to associate with people who are not believers? Absolutely not. And so Jesus gives us these three parables. Parables, again, are, are spiritual stories using an earthly events to show that, hey, people without Jesus are not the enemy. They're the victims of the enemy. Luke chapter 15, it says, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen. Look at that. All the tax collectors. And sinners were coming to Jesus. That's an amazing thing because the tax collectors were the wicked to the Jewish leaders. They worked for Rome. They were treasonous in the highest regard. And in Jewish theology, they could not go to heaven. And they were lumped together with the sinners who would be like the prostitutes and the, the criminals, the thugs, the murderers. There's no way for them to repent and come to faith. And so they're in one group. And they're coming to Jesus. Why? They like to listen to him. They knew Jesus was good with that. And here's the accusation. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. You know, the word receives is the word welcome. It's to, it's to engage. And again, our job as people who love Jesus is to engage with people and receive them into our lives, to enjoy them and eat with them. There's something that happens when you eat with someone. And I'm not talking about a fast food sandwich in three seconds. I'm talking about you sit down and you eat. You know, we just got back from Israel a week ago, and it's so fun to eat over there because you sit down and you enjoy and you engage, and the whole eating process takes time. You can't eat with someone and stay mad at them for very long. You find out, well, you can around the dinner table, but trust me, if you'll take the time to eat with and, and you know what? I love to do this. It's good. It's a good ministry. In meeting, eating is a good ministry tool. But boy, that upset the Pharisees. When I read the Gospels, I find that Jesus had interactions with 132 people. Uh, he obviously met with more, but individually he talked to 132 people. Six of them were in the temple. Four of them were in the Jewish synagogue. 122 of his meetings with people were out in the marketplace where they lived. So that's where the people are. That's why we want to invite them to a party. That's why we want to invite people that we have some kind of a relationship with. And we just want to enjoy them. And so Jesus is, been out of, is, 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 is being accused by the Pharisees and scribes of something bad. They called him a friend of sinners. And you know, he never once said, no, that's not true. He was a friend of sinners. I would love for that to be our reputation, and I think it is in our community. We are friends of people that don't know Jesus. Okay? 
And so Jesus tells them a parable, beginning in verse 3, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost how long? Read that. On how long? Until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. See, here's the parable. hundred sheep. One's lost. Shepherd goes and finds the one. Now, in the context, the one lost sheep is represented by who? The tax gatherers and the sinners. They're the lost people. The 99 sheep is representative of who? The Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. And the shepherd is representing who? God. What is God like is the purpose of the parable. God is like a shepherd who has one lost sheep, and he goes out how long until he finds it? I think I've shared this before, but, you know, my, my son, Matty, when he was three, he came home from Sunday school one day. And I said, what did you learn today in Sunday school? He said, we wound about the lost wham. He had troubles with his R's and his L's. I said, what did you learn about the lost wham? He said, well, there was, a, there was a shepherd, and he had a hundred sheep. And one decided he would go for a walk. And he went out for a walk, and he got stuck in a bush. And the shepherd realized he was gone, and so he went out for him, and he whooked, and he whooked, and he whooked, and he whooked. And he walked in Goldilocks' house, and he wasn't there. And he went to the three bears' houses, and he wasn't there. And then he looked in the bush, and there he was. Now, his information wasn't right, but his heart was. God is interested in the one lost sheep. So many churches, and I'm not picking on anybody's church, but so many times I'm in churches where the emphasis is on making the 99 sheep comfortable. And our emphasis at TBA is on the one who is lost. You know, we have 2,000 people come next week, maybe more. And if one lost sheep comes to know Jesus as a result of a connection made there, then that's all worth it. And when the shepherd finds this sheep, there's great joy because he's lost. Have you ever lost something? You know, I get bent out of shape when I lose the remote. I think they ought to have beepers on the remote that are voice activated. Remote! Beep, 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 beep. I'd have missed the end of the Florida State game last night. You Seminoles are rocking, you know. I root for the Gators, too. It helps the Seminoles when the Gators win, and it helps the Gators when the Seminoles win. And how about UCF? Does anybody go to UCF? One person. Very good. Sorry. You know, they had a great win the other night. We were on a trip one time in our van back in the day before everybody had to be locked into a, a child seat. I feel bad for parents these days because I had, a, I had a big van and we used to just throw all the kids in the back and say, don't kill each other, you know, and we're not stopping to use the restroom, so take care of your own needs. Think about it. But we did stop once in a while to get gas, and so we, we, we left here and we got north of Jacksonville. It was dark. We stopped at a gas station, and, and, and the boys were like, all right, restroom, we're out of here. And they, they headed out, and Zach, my oldest who you know, he took his baby brother Johnny, the singer, to the bathroom and then brought him back and put him in the van and made sure he was good. Then he went back to use the boys' room. While that happened, the tank was full. We got in the car. My wife put the key in the ignition, and we drove down the road. My wife, who wrote a book called The Adventures of Mighty Mom, left her 12-year-old son in a gas station. Yes, true story. We're 10 minutes down the road, and she says, is Zach back there? 
And Zach used to, because we didn't lock everybody into a safety seat, he used to sleep under the bench in the back of the van. And she said, just check under there. And my third son lifts up the, the cover and he says, Zach's not here. Now my wife understood this shepherd's feelings. One of her sheep was lost. And I'm telling you what, that van was never meant to be an off-road vehicle. But that mama shepherd, she cut across the median on I-75 at about 62 miles an hour, wheels spinning, dirt flying, and we got back to that gas station. It took 20 minutes, but for those 20 minutes, we were terrorized that we'd lost one brain-dead left-handed child. Now this shepherd has one lost sheep. I'm just thinking at the end of the day, you know, it's been a long day. He's out in the hills of Judea. It's been a long day, and he, and he puts him in the pen, you know, and he's counting. 58, 60, 68, 70, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. And he stops. And for the sake of the one, he leaves the 99, and he wooked, and he wooked, and he wooked, and he wooked, till he finds it. And then when he finds it, look what he does. It says he lays it on his shoulders, what? Rejoicing. How would you treat that sheep if he wandered off and was lost for three hours? You know, I would take my rod and my staff, and there would be no comfort for that sheep. And I'm here to tell you, I would not put him on my shoulder and carry him back. I'd beat that sheep back to the pen. Don't you ever do this again, you stupid God loves you so much that if you're the one lost sheep, he leaves the other behind and he looks till he finds you. That's the point of the parable. And there's joy in that. If you are not involved in ministering to the lost sheep in your life, your life is without joy. And I don't understand everything I know, but I know this. My marriage is better, my kids are better behaved, my grandchildren are better, my attitude is better, my life is better when I'm ministering to the lost sheep because that reflects the heart of God. But not only is there individual joy, it spreads, watch. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says what? Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. He has a party, and shepherds, our desert wanderers, when they have a party, they have a big party. It costs more to put on a party than that stupid lamb is worth. But one of the reasons I love TBA is because we have a steady stream of lost sheep through this place. And it brings joy not just to the individuals, but it brings joy to the collective group. And next Sunday ought to be a time of great Joy. Oh, it'll be a pain in the neck. We've got to get all the generators. Darlene, do you have enough generators yet? Get there. We need the generators. We need the candy. We need all the stuff. But I'll tell you, there's so much joy in that. Over these lost sheep that come to know. Some of you are here because somebody invited you to something that was being done by TBA, and you came to Jesus as a result. There's personal joy in that. There's collective joy in that. And then here's the best thing of all. It says... I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy where? In heaven, over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Do you know that when you came to know Jesus, there was a party in heaven? And I know some of you, when you came to know Jesus, there was a party that lasted a week in heaven. 
Who is the lost sheep that you know that you'd put on the unsalvageable list? Who is the unreachable sheep? Who's that person out there you say, I'm not going to invite them, they'll never come. See, God loves them so much that he sends Jesus to die for them, and that's why the whole scene in heaven explodes in joy when one person comes to faith. I believe if you were the only person ever to have been born on the planet, Jesus would have come and died just for you. And I believe that when we engage the lost sheep in our lives, then God is blessed by that and God rejoices over that. By way of application, we just got three things. One is that one person really matters to God. Amen? There are more than 7 billion people on the planet. I cannot get my arms around 7 billion, except the government spends that in about 45 minutes. Jesus says, go into all the world. We want to do that. We want to send missionaries to all the world. But winning the world starts with one. Where do you find them? Well, you find them in your family. There are probably lost sheep in your family unless everyone's a believer. They're hard to find, aren't they? They're hard to reach. Or you find them in your neighborhood. Or you find them on your job. Or you find them in your leisure activity. You know, but one person matters to God. Jesus came to die for them. Second, you may be the critical link. I'll tell you a great story about a guy named Charlie Badcock. Charlie's with the Lord now, but he was a builder in Miami, did very well. Charlie knew that his success had come from the Lord, and so he used his earthly treasures to do ministry. He had a 63-foot yacht on Key Biscayne. It would house 14 people comfortably, but 20 college students could fit in there. And one of the things that God used to bring me to Christ was when I was 19 years old, some guys would take me to, to Miami, and we would sleep on Charlie's yacht, and he treated us like we were kings. He would sail us around Key Biscayne and show us the presidential yacht, and he would feed us and house us and love us. And during those trips and those stays on the yacht, there were guys that shared Christ with me. I can't wait to see Charlie in heaven and just thank him because he was a link in my coming to Christ. When somebody comes to Christ in my presence, I always ask this question, who do we need to thank? Who's been loving you? Who's been praying for you? Who's been nudging you along in this decision? Because it never happens in a vacuum. You may be the link to get that one lost sheep on the right track. And then lastly, joy is the result. It is so fun to be involved in this work because it reflects the work of God. I think God says, hey, this is my heart. I am like the lost shepherd that has, I'm sorry, I'm like the loving shepherd that has two groups of sheep, the one lost one and the 99 not lost one. But God is like the shepherd who takes the time to reach out to the one who's lost. Now listen, if you are here today and you're in that lost category, we want you to know that we love you and God loves you. And God loves you so much that Jesus came to die for you and accept the punishment that you deserve by dying on the cross in your place. And he was raised up by God on the third day and he lives and he's willing to come live inside you and give you a new way to live. But if you're like the 99, and you've done that sometime in the past, then here are the action steps for you. Action step number one, we want you to invite friends to the Halloween party. Make sure you take that card. We've got more cards outside. Make a list. Pray 
before you invite. <clears throat> Lord, see if you would soften hearts and bring people to this. It's just going to be fun. There's no agenda here. You know, we're not going to come call on them dressed in weird costumes. We're just going to love them. Maybe invite them back to something later, but that's, that's between you and God and them. And then action step number two, invite more friends to the Halloween party. I guarantee we won't run out of stuff. Okay? So we want, we want for that just to be the most exciting fun day of the, of the fall. We're going to wrap this up in a little different way. We're going to have communion. You know, if you're one of the 99 that knows the Lord and, and, and you're in pretty good shape spiritually, then you need to come and remember what Christ has done for you. We're actually going to watch a video that Paul Sternagel introduces to last week. It's a song called, uh, Am I Someone Worth Dying For? Isn't that great? And by the way, the, the photographer in this video is a guy, is a friend of mine, used to live in Lakeland. He was my pastor for 10 years. And that's pretty fun, so I love to watch that. But it, you are worth dying for. You, at some point, were the lost sheep, and Jesus came and died for you. You are worth that to God. You are worth all the effort. Somebody whooked and whooked and whooked and whooked for you until you came to love Jesus. And if you didn't come to love Jesus, then I want you to wrestle with that. Because God would want you to do that. And when you do that, then you come and you enjoy communion in a, in a whole new way. Now, the mechanics are pretty simple. We'll have three stations up here. We'll have three stations in the back. You're going to take the wafer and dip it into the cup. Don't drink the cup, please. We've had that happen in here. Try not to keep everybody, not to get everybody sick during the flu season. But uh, we're going to let the band have uh, uh, the first dibs at the communion. We did that in the first service. Often our band, our worship team, doesn't get to have communion. And so we're going to play the video. I'll open in prayer. And then during, uh, when, when you're led, have communion and your time alone with the Lord. Father, we thank you for this parable that you sent Jesus who looked and looked and looked for us until he found us. We thank you that there is joy in the presence of God when those who are lost get found. We thank you that there is not joy when people are lost. And we pray that as a, as a church family, we would be about your business of reaching out to the lost sheep, whether they are in our families, our neighborhoods, our jobs, or our leisure time experiences. Father, I pray you'd find us about your work of ministering to the lost who need to come to know you. Father, even now, if there's someone today that doesn't know you, I pray this would be a, a time for them to know that there's someone worth dying for. Amen.